As we um, approach the new year, I know that uh, many of you are, are probably thinking, oh man, I am so glad to be done with 2019. I just can't wait until we just cross the threshold. It's only a couple more days. I can make it. And, you know, you, you, you want things to be different. You want things to be better. And so we're, we're looking forward to 2020. And we're, hopefully things are going to be different. And things are going to be better. Now, I'm not going to be talking specifically about like New Year's resolutions here, good and bad as they may be, you know, sometimes the potential benefits for uh, making those resolutions are, are just amazing and wonderful, but then there's the downside that, you know, most of us don't ever make it past about day three uh, after we've made those resolutions, so uh, we're just going to kind of put those things aside because I said in the little uh, description of the message today that no New Year's resolutions were required, and they aren't. So, on the, uh, I, I, I would like to uh, just look at some passages in God's Word that I believe will give you um, opportunity and potential for new things that you may be hoping for different things that you are working towards, and certainly better things. So I'd like to uh, try out my, my new little clicker here and see, there it is. That's what uh, the, the text was, was all about. Um, John 15, verse 1, starts like this. I am, this is Jesus speaking, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. That I am statement by Jesus is one of seven. By the way, this is just a freebie. This really isn't part of the message. But um, it's one of seven times that Jesus says, I am, and then finishes it off with the next word or two. And since we're here in this one-room schoolhouse, is there anybody, hey, maybe any of you young people that can help me with some of those I am statements? Can you finish them off for me? We know that it's I am the vine. Jesus just said that, right? But what else did he say in the Gospel of John in six other occasions where he stated I am? Anybody? Go ahead, Hannah. Shelby? The bread of life. Did I hear the bread of life? All right, cool. Anybody else? Oh, come on. I know you. They're right on the tip of your tongue. Anyway, he said he was the bread of life, the light of the world, the resurrection and the life. Thank you. The door for the sheep. He is, I am the good shepherd, and I am the way and the truth and the life. So, Let's get back to the, the text in the, and just give some context here as to what's going on. Um, if you're familiar at all with um, this portion of Scripture, you'll know that um, this was 
Jesus and his disciples just finishing up the Passover meal, which in this particular timing and case, the uh, Passover meal at this point was, is often called today the Last Supper. They've just left the upper room where they've celebrated the Passover meal, and they're making their way out of the city of Jerusalem. They're going through the Kidron Valley, which heads toward the Mount of Olives, a very, a very familiar place for Jesus and his disciples. This is a place where Jesus would often bring his disciples for rest, for reflection, for times of prayer, for instruction from the master, Jesus himself. By the way, how many disciples were with him at that time? Anybody? Eleven. There weren't twelve. Why not? Judas had kind of gone his own way and decided to get things happening in the works of a betrayal on, uh, of Jesus. So, this is... Um, this place, this um, Mount of Olives, is also where the Garden of Gethsemane is. And that's where Jesus is going to be betrayed by Judas. He's going to be handled very disrespectfully, to put it mildly, by Roman soldiers. And then he's going to be brought back to the Roman governing authorities and an angry Jewish mob that would, in a few short hours, just a few short hours, play their part in condemning Jesus to death and nailing him on a cross to die. The Bible tells us that Jesus knew that the time of his death was, was near. And that all these things that were going on and the things that were going to happen in just these next few hours, even the very ugly and graphic details of what, was, what he was about to suffer before he even got to the cross, which I have not mentioned. And, and even in the midst of knowing all this, Jesus takes the time to stop on their journey, and he's in the midst of an ancient vineyard, and he starts to talk about grapes. Grapes. Lots of grapes there. And how the vine dresser works diligently and skillfully to produce fruit in his vineyard. This probably came as quite a shock to the disciples at this point. You know, uh, even to, to us, reading this some 2,000 years later, um, if you're anything like me... I, I probably, and, and maybe you can relate to this, I would be thinking about reviewing like the last three years that we've all spent together. You know, remember the, the miracles and, and the prayers that were answered and the putting the Pharisees in their place? <laughs> and, you know, just maybe even more importantly, how to proceed when... Jesus is gone, and he's no longer amongst them. How are you going to build my church? But no, Jesus doesn't go there. He starts talking about 
the vine and the branches. So before we start our discussion of the, the vine and the branches, we, uh, we really need to understand one very basic and simple truth that Jesus points out to us in verse 5. In verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And apart from me, you can do nothing. We need to let that sink in a little bit. It, it's not that we can do even a very little if we're not connected to the vine. We can produce absolutely no good fruit or accomplish any good thing without being in union with and vitally connected with Christ. Being vitally connected means that our whole life depends on it. Totally and completely, we need to be in Christ. So, how are we in Christ? We are, we're in Christ by faith, believing the words of Jesus. We, we surrender to his lordship by accepting the fact that he is the perfect lamb of God, that he is the only way to the Father, that he lived a perfect sinless life, and that he is the only one, the only thing forever and ever that can satisfy the law of God. It's, it's just that simple. But, and when we take that by faith, that that is true, and we receive that into our hearts and believe it, and then have a desire to turn from our sinfulness, because each one of us, no matter how young or how old, if we have not come to Christ, we're sinners. But when we receive Christ, when we accept Christ as that perfect lamb sacrifice for us, we're then new creatures. We are totally new. Oh yes, we may sin now and then, but we're no longer sinners. And so the Lord Jesus is the answer. And then from there, we can just grow, mature, which is what we're going to get into a little bit here. So let's uh, look at a couple of things that we, we learned from the, from the text. First thing I want to point out, pretty simple, Jesus is the vine. So if, if you're not familiar with uh, vineyards, you might think that the vine is the long trailing thing that goes all over the place. It sprawls over trellises sometimes, and it's, it's seen on the sides of brick houses, and it's wrapped around fences, and other times it's growing in and throughout trees. But actually, the vine is, is actually the heavy, thick, root-like part that comes up out of the ground 
And the vine dresser allows it to grow to about 36 inches, maybe as high as 42 inches. And from that, at that point, it just gets like this really wild, crazy looking, gnarly top on it, so to speak. And then out of that gnarly part grows all these branches going in all different directions. Second thing is, Jesus points out that his father, our father, our heavenly father, is the vine dresser. Now, the vine dresser in a vineyard, he wants to get the optimum yield of fruit from his vineyard. And in this case, he wants even huge clusters of luscious grapes, what most people would call abundant and beautiful-looking fruit. Third thing is, you and I, we're the branches if we're in Christ. The vine dresser concentrates his efforts. Am I going in and out there? Concentrates his efforts on us because we produce the fruit. He skillfully and carefully tends to the branches in the hopes of them bringing forth, bearing as much fruit as possible. So, I need to get some of my props over here. I'm not running away on you. I've got, I told you now, this would have been a little bit more effective if we were in the uh, outside doing our, our typical gathering and, and uh, out in the, the back where we, we've been under the canopy and outside, etc. Now we have this little bit of a space between us. It's going to do the best we can with it, all right? Bear with me. <laughs> so, um, this is, this is the, the next thing that Jesus starts to bring out. He's talking about fruit bearing. And initially, we have little to no fruit that bears in our lives, represented by that four-ounce cup, right? That's about how much fruit we could, you know, maybe expect at the beginning of our, our walk with the Lord. But then he talks about some fruit. Some fruit is an increase from the little to no fruit, maybe represented by this basket. And then Jesus talks about more fruit. Okay, we're, we're growing in Jesus, and things are happening, and we're producing more fruit. And then the exponential explosion of growth happens, and he talks about much fruit. This is the basket that we're aiming for, folks. This is what we want to fill when we walk through our, our relationship with the Lord and when we interact with one another here in the church as we serve and, and just to glorify God because that's what it's all about. So um, don't, don't be discouraged. I mean, don't, don't be discouraged about not being, say, at this level, all right? Nobody starts at this level. It, everybody starts here. So we're all in that same, same boat, so to speak, but 
we can, we can progress quickly from little to no fruit to much fruit if we keep saying yes to the vine dresser and surrender to him who we actually are and what makes us us. And so it becomes less of us and more of Jesus. So what are some of the specific things that the vine dresser does to uh, care for his branches? Excuse me a minute. Well, the first thing, he provides rich soil. He mulches, he aerates, he protects the soil from contaminants. Then he will provide water in, uh, in the event that the rains aren't sufficient. He will also provide a structure for support of endless growth in a trellis-type uh, fashion. And no matter what climate or environmental conditions come, whether it's harsh wind, the vine dresser's there, he's tying the branches to the, to the trellis, to the structure, to secure them, to secure them, to secure them. Then during extreme heat, he provides solar shade to cover them, to prevent them from drying out and withering. During extreme cold, just the opposite. Builds controlled fires to provide warmth so that the, the vines, the branches, I should say, uh, all have sufficient heat, warmth, nourishment, all the things they need to produce fruit. But the single most productive act of horticultural care that the vine dresser does for the branches is pruning. So, before we go on to what pruning is and see how it's done, I need to clarify another point. Pruning is not discipline. Pruning is not you being under the discipline of God. Discipline is when God is dealing with our sin, our intentional, rebellious attitudes and actions. Now, there is an upside. The upside of discipline by God is proof that we are one of his children, according to Hebrews 12, 5, and 6, and I'll read it for you. The Bible says there that my son, first of all, we're addressed as son. That goes for daughters too, so you ladies aren't left out. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. So, although discipline is never pleasant, it is a relief to know that we're one of the children of God. Amen? Okay, I've got to try this thing again. This slide here, you can see, uh, talks about before pruning, after pruning. 
So uh, let, let's get back to the pruning aspect right now. In the early years, there, there really isn't much in the way of branches that, uh, you know, need to be pruned. But either way, I mean, the, those little scraggly crazy things that are growing need to be thinned out and removed because the extra branches, uh, they may never produce fruit, but they will steal life-giving nutrients to the branches that will produce the fruit. And uh, just so you know, I mean, it's the natural tendency of branches to just grow any old which way. And so it's usually those scraggly ones that need the pruning. Can you, can you relate to that? Anybody feel like that sometimes? They... Those scraggly ones that are growing every which way, they just need to be tamed a little bit. And the vine dresser is faithful to do that. So for the Christian, early pruning is mostly about thinning out your outward activities your, and properly ordering your current priorities in trying to realign yourself with godly biblical activities and what God's priorities are for life, for your life. So let me read that again, because I certainly didn't have, do a good job in saying that. So early pruning is mostly about thinning out your outward activities and properly ordering your current priorities in trying to realign yourself with godly biblical activities and what God's priorities are for your life. Now, this could all be like acts of devotion and service for God and your church. But, you know, sometimes you can become uh, so involved that you never reach out to your neighbor with the gospel. Becoming so busy with serving that we don't have a growing intimacy with Jesus. We need the pruning it needs to happen for us. So as branches mature, there, there may be some solid-looking growth in two or three of the, of the branches. And the vine dresser, he, he has to make the tough choices. He has to choose which branches go and which ones stay. Which ones are, he believes and sees are going to be the most productive. And then he cuts away the others. That is the mature vine, as I spoke about earlier. And it may be a little bit hard to see from where you're at, but I think you get the idea. Coming up out of the ground, whatever, three feet or so, there's this really wild, gnarly-looking thing on the end of it. And out of that are the branches, all right? So the, the pruning uh, for, the, for the Christian um, is, is the, or the pruning that comes later or the mature pruning that comes about is typically dealing with our core values, the things that are important to us in our hearts. We hold them very dear and we guard them and they're not things we easily let go of. And then he also talks about uh, removing things that are our personal identity 
and are not reflective of our identity in Christ, which whatever our identity is, that kind of shapes who we are as a person, you know, what we are really down deep, where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. So, for instance, you, you may be involved in three different areas of serving in the local church, in this local church. But God knows that if he were to trim away two of maybe the three areas that you're involved in, that you would be more fruitful and more productive in that one area than you were in all three put together. So, you know what that means? You know what that means. Out come the pruners, right? Here we go, just like that. That's, that's one type of pruner. We'll leave that one there. We might need that. But just as in an actual vineyard, the fine dresser has to continually and forever be pruning so he has a productive vineyard. So God has the perpetual job of pruning us so that we can produce much fruit to his glory, as Jesus says in this scripture. Oh, it may, it may be helpful to think of mature pruning as the testing of your faith. In James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, I'm going to read this in the amplified version for you. It says, Consider it nothing but joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you fall into various trials. Be assured that the testing of your faith through experience produces endurance or steadfastness, leading to spiritual maturity and inner peace. And let endurance have its perfect result and do a thorough work so that you may be perfect and completely developed in your faith, lacking in nothing. That's where I want to be, folks. I know I've got a long way to get there, but that's where I want to be. That's the goal. So in mature pruning, the, the vine dresser, he cuts away to provide for more light to get at the branches. He gives access to the plant to receive more watering. He gives room by pruning for the, the branches to grow, which means more fruit can be produced. So our heavenly vine dresser is doing the same thing by cutting us back and thinning us out to receive more wisdom and strength from being in the light of his presence and being watered and continually cleansed by his word. And that gives us greater strength, productivity, and spiritual power. All right? Let me make one other thing hopefully perfectly clear at this point. These trials, um, these tests of faith, they have nothing, absolutely nothing, 
to do with the status of your salvation. That is a settled matter. When you believed the gospel of Jesus Christ and you came to that point of understanding by faith and receiving by grace the gift of God's salvation, that's a done deal. So don't be worried. These tests of faith are actually an invitation to surrender something voluntarily, not under duress or compulsion, but under conviction of the Holy Spirit. Even though you have every right not to give it up. Yeah, God, God, our sovereign God, even in his sovereignty, gives us free will to make choices in our lives. Now, these tests of faith, they may make you feel personally attacked or stretched like silly putty by the circumstances that you find yourself in, but you won't feel distanced from God. You may feel sorely tried and tested, but not judged or guilty. This is all very different than when you're being disciplined by God. Discipline is, is when you're doing something wrong. And it should make you feel guilty because you are. And it, given the goodness of God, it should move us in the direction of desiring repentance to turn from where we've been disobedient and where we've been rebellious. Whereas in pruning, that's when we're doing something right. We should actually feel like a relief and, and trust that the vine dresser is, is doing something to reshape us and change us and transform us. And so instead of a need for repentance, we should actually release or give God permission, so to speak, the opportunity to do his work as a vine dresser. So, what is pruning? Finally getting back to that, huh? What is pruning and how is it done? Well, in this day and age, it's um, most often done with a tool that looks like this. Yep, showed you this before, of all things. <laughs> Call the pruners, right? Yeah, that works. But um, the, in ancient times, and even in the old school way of doing things, uh, pruning is done with a knife. That's right, a knife. Pruning too deeply or in the wrong season will certainly have a negative impact. But our Heavenly Father, He's a gardener who knows just when to use the sharpest knife and sometimes the biggest knife or blade and cuts us to the exact right depth like a masterful surgeon. 
and does, does all of this in the perfect season or timing to actually produce the most abundant fruit. So God's pruning usually starts very gently. It may be like a little snip here and a little snip there, and it might pinch or sting a little bit, but eh, it's pretty easy to withstand. It, it doesn't, uh, the pain, you know, it doesn't hurt that much. But God's methods of pruning um, sometimes are, are the reason he's doing it is to get our attention. And he'll, he'll do it with a gentle nudge through the Holy Spirit, speaking to our, our conscience and through conviction of something that we may be reading in his word or reading in a book or hearing directly from God's word or maybe it's in a casual conversation with someone. And sometimes he prunes us through circumstances also which he skillfully orchestrates to bring about his will, his purposes for our lives. Generally speaking, that purpose is to be abundantly fruitful. But depending on the amount of overgrowth that there may be that exists in our lives uh, or in a given vineyard, the vine dresser may have to use a more aggressive approach. Cutting away more well-developed areas that may look strong but are just really heavy and thick and woody parts that really don't produce fruit. And you know what happens to the works of wood, hay, and stubble? Yeah, they're burned. They're burned in the refiner's fire. So, just to accent the, uh, the different levels um, of pruning, this might be where God has to start with something like this. And he's going to chop away at tremendous amount of overgrowth that may be in your life. We hope not to stay in that place too long, and we hope not to ever return to it. We like to try and get it down to a more reasonable blade size, such as this. A little less pain involved, but still necessary for some of the more resistant branches that keep cropping up and don't want to go away. Eventually, the hope is that the vine dresser gets down to what might be looked at as a very small surgical instrument. And he just trims gently, kindly, and just knows just how far, how deep to go. And certainly, that's... That's what we'd like to get, is get to that point where that's all that the vine dresser needs to work with us. So, 
Let me give you an example. Um, it's kind of like people who go to the gym that uh, become muscle-bound, right? They are, they go and they lift weights and they do everything just over the top. And they may be big and impressive and in some people's eyes they may, may look really handsome or beautiful. Um, but they're really not able to do much with that huge mass of body that they've created. And it gets in their way. And so it's, it's all basically for appearance sake. An example of this maybe on the spiritual level would be someone who puts a, a lot of time and energy into research and the study of God's Word, which is great, but some folks just never or maybe rarely exercise faith to put what they've learned into practice. They become bloated with knowledge and information, but they're really not able to produce any godly, biblical fruit with what they've learned. Then, on the other side, there are those who go to the gym and they just work out on being trim and fit, working on their weak areas, maintaining their already strong areas so that their whole body stays in balance. This is where we want to be spiritually. An example of this might be um, the person who consistently is exercising faith through works based on the study of God's Word, on their prayer time, listening and looking for the promptings of the Holy Spirit in their lives to extend themselves further and further just like the vine or the branches rather want to extend themselves further and further along the, the trellis. So the, those promptings um, usually will lead us into areas which are a bit scary for us. And namely, those areas are the unfamiliar and unknown, right? We don't, we don't like that, typically. We, we like, okay, I know this is going to happen when I do this, and I know that's going to happen when I do that. And I don't like all of this, you know, stuff that's too nebulous, too unfamiliar. I, I really don't want to go there. But just as the branches continue to extend themselves further and further, trusting that the vine dresser will continually care for them, we can also trust the vine dresser when we might do something such as extend an invitation to a neighbor to come to our house for dinner. Or maybe we invite them to a community group meeting. Or maybe to one of our church services. And then we might boost it up a level. And there's sharing our conversion experience. Or maybe sharing our particular worldview, biblical worldview, 
So that uh, even beyond that, uh, maybe we might even do something, the scariest of all is like offering to pray for someone whom you've only met maybe for the first time. Or maybe even scarier than all of that stuff and unknown and unfamiliar and is a huge step of faith would be to do any of the above for an unbelieving family member, especially praying for them. Well, our loving vine dresser, he knows just how much uh, support is needed in each part of the branch to carry the fruit that it will bear. So, you know, people who are in, in the gym, they, they usually uh, depend on a, a PT or a personal trainer. But we have an SFE. We have the vine dresser who is our spiritual fitness expert. That's about all the jokes I've got, folks. I'm sorry. Um, but as, as we wrap up, let's, let's look at verse 8 for a moment. Verse 8 says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. We call ourselves the disciples of Jesus, and so we are. But this word from Jesus tells us that there will be evidence, not just talk, that we are his disciples. That evidence is in the fruit of our lives. And the qualification is it brings glory to the Father. It brings glory to God. So that's, that's where we're heading. That's where we want to be. So let's just take a look at this. Maybe you're, you're feeling like here I am. I'm maybe even not at this point of fruitfulness. I'm still at this place. Little to no fruit. Or, you know, hey, maybe you've gotten into this. You're producing fruit. Or maybe you feel like you're producing more fruit, represented by this picture here. Or, very possibly, like this, there's the, the much fruit that could be produced. But ultimately, this is a path that walks between rows of vines and branches that are just producing massive amounts of fruit. And those are the stages. The choice is ours. We just have to say yes to the vine dresser. And we, we, we all start at the beginning, as I said, so don't, don't fret, don't be discouraged. And soon enough, you'll see that you'll be surrounded on the rest of your walk with Jesus with abundant fruit. So let us welcome the vine dressers pruning and pray for an abundant harvest of much fruit.
Will you pray with me? Father, we're just very grateful for your amazing love and care over our lives. There is none other that could do it in the way that you do it. And even though we try other methods and we try our own ways, Lord, we're bound and consigned to failure if we do that. So help us, Lord, to trust you, trust you more. Take those, even if we want to call them baby steps, toward you and allow you to do the work that you desire to do as a vine dresser in our lives, pruning those things out that aren't productive, aren't fruitful. Lord, that you would just bless us with lives of abundant fruit, but that ultimately would be to your glory and your glory alone. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.